Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Chicago Audible Podcast, changing up the way Bears fans stay up to date on their favorite team since 2015. Now get ready. Because it's time to bear down. Welcome back, Bears fans, to another episode of the Chicago Audible. We're cruising along right through the summer as it's already July 8th at the time of this recording, which means, of course, we're getting closer to Bears camp. Well, just how far out are we? Well, hey, we finally got some training camp dates. So again, recording here on July 8th, so that makes it 19 days until the players actually report to camp on July 27th and 21 days, so July 29th, when the Bears' first open public practice takes place. So very exciting stuff here. I'm your host, Will DeWitt, and I'm glad that you're here as we are continuing our countdown to camp today with an entire show being an in-depth preview on the Chicago Bears' cornerbacks. Here with me today to break down this position, I'm joined by my co-hosts Nicholas Moriano and Mason West. Nick, you got over the cold, no more sniffling? I wouldn't say that. This cold is a, it's just lingering. And I, I'm not sniffling as much, but it is for the most part gone. But you may hear a sniffle or two. Okay. So you're already been warned. And Mason, uh, how about you, man? How's your week gone? The week overall is going pretty well. You know, short week that we had with the holiday there. So it's always hard getting back in the saddle, but it's nice when you turn around and only have a four day work week. Absolutely. And on my end, baby keeps progressing. Today's the exact halfway mark since we're due on Thanksgiving Day. And all I'm going to say about the little one is Cairo Santos may want to watch out. We got ourselves a little kicker in there right now. But before we dive in, I want to let everyone know that our free jersey winner, Chase, has his jersey on the way. He went with David Montgomery. He also found out uh, that he actually works uh, and lives in one of the towns that I lived in growing up near Crown Point, Indiana. So I thought that was pretty neat. I just want to make sure that everyone knows who's listening. Uh, Once we reach 700 reviews on Apple Podcasts, we'll do another free jersey giveaway. So if you didn't win the last one, you will be in the running for the next one, which I believe we're about 15 reviews away. And of course, leaving a review of this show on Apple Podcasts helps us reach more Bears fans like us, like you. And it helps out when we reach out to potential sponsors for the upcoming season. And again, only 15 reviews away. So if we have that same kind of 
momentum that we've seen over the last few weeks, heck, we'll be giving away another Bears jersey right before training camp. But Mason and Nick, I'm ready to get the train rolling. Are you ready to kind of jump in today's episode of Countdown to Camp to talk some Bears cornerbacks? Let's do it. Super pumped. Yeah, there we go. That's the energy that we need here on the show. So here at the tip top of Tier 1 is a spot that has been reserved for Kyle Fuller for years. Now with Fuller no longer a bear, it's next man up. So to begin Tier 1, let's take a look at the second-year man out of Utah who's coming off a strong rookie season, and that's Jalen Johnson. Now, Johnson, he didn't come down with any interceptions during his rookie year, but his impact, it was felt. He had that ball production, 15 PBUs, and a few of those did help his teammates actually come away with the turnover. And Johnson's 14 forced incompletions was the third most in the entire NFL. And looking even further, Jalen Johnson's 56.9 completion rate against was the best of all rookies. And if you look at the rest of the league, that's about 27th. So with Jalen Johnson, I'm very high. I've been high on Johnson since last winter when I started mocking him to the Bears. You know, he plays with smarts, usually in the right spot, and he can run with any receiver. I love his aggressiveness, attacking the football, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing what another year under his belt, what that can do for Johnson. But I'm curious about you guys. When you look at Johnson's rookie year, did he exceed your expectations or did he play at the level that you expected? Nick, how about you? I think this is a guy where we were kind of concerned about the shoulder injuries, right? But when you saw what he did in his rookie season, to me, he he excelled in some areas, especially in terms of mental processing, just knowing exactly what his responsibilities are in a given play and then just executing them. As a rookie, too, being challenged against some really good receivers that he faced throughout the season, Johnson looked really comfortable, and he really showed that up until he got injured in that Week 14 matchup against the Houston Texans. But... I thought also when with his body type being physical with wide receivers, when quarterbacks were throwing to him and he got his hands on him, usually there were incompletions or those 15 PBUs that you mentioned earlier, Will. So really he showed a lot of great just instincts. And again, that mental processing that you love to see out of a rookie cornerback. For sure. And Mason, I know you've came along here on the show towards the very end of last season. So going back to maybe where your mindset was this time a year ago, Did Jalen Johnson exceed any of those expectations that you had for him coming out of the second round? I would say so. I think he kind of reset the standard of what the expectation should be for himself. A lot of times when you see rookies, especially the cornerback position come in, there's a lot of highs and lows. You'll end up seeing uh, them getting burned for a really long touchdown that shouldn't have happened because of a blown coverage, maybe jumping route they shouldn't have, things of that nature. But then you'll also see big splash plays. The thing with Jalen Johnson was it seemed just very consistent, right? He was he was there where he needed to be most of the time. There weren't the big, big splash plays, but there weren't also those hair-pulling plays where you're like, what are you doing? So that was really awesome to see out of someone, you know, in their rookie year, and hopefully he can just continue to move forward. For sure. And when speaking of moving forward, as we kind of get to this season, I'm excited to see him play on both sides of the ball after primarily being the right cornerback. You know, Kyle Fuller, he always had that left just pretty much locked up. But Sean Desai did say that he will, and I quote, probably mess around with Johnson on both sides of the formation. So, Nick, I'll go to you first. How does Jalen Johnson elevate his, elevate his game here in year two? I think one area, and it's, it's something that maybe the shoulder injuries kind of impacted this, but I thought his tackling 
even in his rookie season, like we said, was a pretty good one for rookie standards. I thought that was the most inconsistent area of his game, whether he had his head too low or he just completely whiffed or took a bad angle. There were some just plays throughout games, throughout his, his rookie season, where you're like, Johnson could put himself in a better position, could just take a better angle and make a more secure tackle. So that's one area of his game. But we also talked about that most of the time he was consistent. For the most part, he was. If you go back to the second Detroit game at Soldier Field, there was just some miscommunication, whether it was with him and the other safety, where there were just some deep touchdowns that happened. And you're just wondering, well, is that Jalen Johnson's responsibility? Is that the safety just being on the wrong page? So really, I think just being another year in the NFL, now being in Sean Desai's system, he'll he'll clean that up. And you can also go to the Saints game where there were just a couple of blown touchdowns and Jalen Johnson's nowhere near the guy running the post. So just miscommunication happened at times. But I think, look, that comes with being a rookie and just getting acclimated to the NFL game. So that's another area that I know now in year two, he'll definitely clean up. What about you, Mason? How can Jalen Johnson eliminate some of those lows? I know you said there weren't a lot of those last season, but how can he you know, kind of take those out of the equation here in his second season? Well, I couldn't agree more with what Nick said. Really, that missed tackle percentage, which was at 17, uh, third on the, the Bears, needs to get better. And a part of that and what it leads to was actually his yards after catch that he allowed. He ended up being second on the team with 270 yards, only trailing Danny Trevathan, who had 297. And we've already talked about what Danny kind of had to do when, when he was yeah. in pass coverage. Uh, you saw this, for example, in a game against the Panthers on the second drive. He gave up a slant route to DJ Moore, which is fine. It was a solid route, and DJ Moore is a fast guy. But the problem is that DJ Moore then had 22 yards after he caught the ball. Like, that can't happen, whether it's a missed tackle or you're playing too far off the ball, which was very surprising considering how many passes defended that he did have. So what is happening in those plays when he's leading him to be second on the team in the yards after completion? That has to get cleaned up because ultimately that's what lets drives continue and that's what prevents you from being a shutdown number one corner in this league. Yeah, really good points. And you know, when we look at Jalen Johnson, we have to talk about those shoulders, Mason. Last year, you know, he ended up dinging one of those again. We have the you know, history of all the shoulder issues throughout college. And when you're playing corner and you're wearing one of those braces, obviously your mobility of that arm kind of goes away. So making plays in the ball gets a little bit tougher. You don't have that exact range of motion that you would if you didn't have a harness on. From your perspective, putting on that medical hat, should we be worried about those shoulders entering this season? If you go back to uh, the article that Nick wrote when Jalen Johnson was first drafted, uh, which definitely go back and read that. It was a good article. Uh, he talked about how, you know, some of the things that I had mentioned where I don't think it's necessarily going to be a huge year to year multi-game issue, but it's going to be more of a long-term wear and tear. And we saw that over the course of a season, he did pretty well with it. And then at the very end, he ended up missing three games. But, you know, at the end of the season, those are the, your most important games you have to be available for. He didn't end up needing surgery this offseason, so it wasn't necessarily, you know, a, a soft tissue issue. There wasn't like a tear, anything like that. But there is a concern regarding the overall bone health based on the kind of surgery he had to repair that shoulder. Because what he ended up having was basically taking a piece of bone and putting it in front of that shoulder so that it doesn't dislocate as easily. And when you're changing that positioning and what the body naturally wants to do, you're going to have to have compensations. There's going to be wear on other areas that normally don't have wear. 
potentially is that one of the reasons why he tackles the way he does. You see a lot of the time he lowers his shoulder down, head goes down. He doesn't necessarily wrap up as much as you might see from some of the other cornerbacks in the league. So is he already trying to protect himself? Like you were just alluding to, well, when you have to wear a brace of that nature, is the radius you have as a defender, is that decreased? I mean, it has to be. The, the point of the brace right. is to limit how far you can reach out. So ultimately, this is going to be something that you have to monitor throughout his career. Is it something that's necessarily going to you know knock him out for half a season? No. But yes, he's going to miss a tackle here. He's going to miss potentially interception here and there. And he might end up missing some ga- a couple of games in the year, which then makes the depth of this position really important. Really good stuff there, Mason. I appreciate you kind of sharing that with us. Nick, I have a simple question, potentially complicated answer for you. Uh, in your opinion, this season, will Jalen Johnson be the team's, quote, CB1? He will, and I think he already has that position as it stands, you know, a couple of weeks before training camp actually begins because of how he played in his rookie season. But I think what the Bears are really expecting of him and just in terms of health-wise, but also what they're expecting to see on the football field. And, look, it's not an easy task filling those, the shoes of, of Kyle Fuller, who was an all-pro here in Chicago, and really, you know, a consistent football player in terms of what they were asking of him in Vic Fangio's defense and even Chuck Pagano. So he is cornerback one. He's got all the traits, the even the, the, the skills to be that guy. Again, we just got to see, will health allow him to get to that point? And I think, you know, if – if everything goes to plan, he, he'll reach that. All right, let's move on and let's wrap up this very first here by taking a look at a newbie in Chicago who does bring a ton of experience to the group, and that's the veteran entering his ninth year, Desmond Trufant. Trufant brings 103 career starts to the table for the Bears who are entering this season after losing their longest tenured cornerback in Kyle Fuller. However, Trufant, he's missed 17 games over his last two years with injuries, and he's allowed a passer rating over 103 of his last four years. Trufant, who is turning 31 in September, he's coming off a career-worst year last season, uh, which was his first and only in Detroit after seven years in Atlanta, but when you look at his last 15 games, and I know you have to look at different seasons because he hasn't been able to put a full one, you still see a decent amount of ball production for Trufant. Five picks and 11 PBUs in those last 15 games. So I know, Nick, you just said it's not fair for Jalen Johnson to put on those Kyle Fuller replacement shoes fully. That's unfair of anybody. I think that's really true for Trufant as well. But I'm curious, do you guys believe that this veteran can come in, give us quality play on the outside this season? Uh, I think with a stronger supporting cast in Chicago compared to what he's had in Detroit, and even in the Falcons a couple years prior, I believe there is potential. Mason, am I right or am I wrong thinking there's potential here? Oh, yeah, for sure. There's absolutely potential. Uh, Cornerback's best friend is the pass rush and then the linebackers. So if Sean Desai can get a little bit more out of that front seven, then it doesn't really matter who the cornerback is specifically. That job is significantly easier. Now, one of the things that's going to be really important is ultimately going to be, like you said, he had good ball production when he was in Atlanta. Detroit's where players go to die, so it's a little harder to yep. take that into full consideration. But he, the health was an issue. He had three different instances that the hamstring ish injury he had knocked him out. The final one, knocking him out and putting him in IR for the rest of the season. Now, soft tissue injuries always scare me, but luckily, obviously, we had a full offseason for him to recover. Is there a chance he's going to come back and do what he needs to and be that cornerback too, right? He doesn't necessarily – the hope is that Jalen Johnson is going to be the one that's on the best receiver at the time. You know, previously, 
Kyle Fuller, for whatever reason, whether it was his choice or the coordinators, never really flopped sides. He just always stuck to the same one, wasn't considered that corner that would follow the best receiver around. Maybe Jalen Johnson will do that, which would allow Desmond Trufant to just have to worry about the second, third best receiver. Yeah, and if that's the case, that helps his job just a, a little bit. Nick, and I'm curious for you, man, what are your expectations for Trufant? Is he even a lock to make this roster? That's that's a really good question there, Will, because just watching some of the games that he had in Detroit, and I know you guys are talking about Detroit and what happens to players that go there, he, he doesn't look like a player that's really in position to be the starter. Uh, and only being on a over just a million dollars in his contract, that should show you what the Bears really think of him in terms of what they're projecting for him. And Adam Johns on the Hogan Johns podcast, who's been to these OTA practices, actually said, uh, I quote, and he uh, the quote is, I actually think Vildor might actually have a lead going to training camp, Kendall Vildor. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Vildor is out there with the starters to start training camp come late July. And when you see Desmond Trufant, I think he does a good job of understanding what his limits are in terms of knowing what receivers are doing on the outside. If they're going vertical, he knows when to open up his hips and run with guys so he's not burnt deep because he's not the fastest guy. But anything that has those in-breaking routes, and you can watch what Allen Robinson was doing to Desmond Trufant in the first game they played against Detroit. Desmond Trufant's running circles back there, doing having to wheel turn because of those slant routes that Allen Robinson is putting on him. And that was consistent with a lot of wide receivers that were lined up on the outside against Trufant. So seeing that he's only making a million dollars, that the already the reports are that Vildor might have the edge on him. He's had he's had plenty of hamstring injuries, only six games last season, played in Detroit. I'm not so confident Trufant in in terms of what he can do as a starter just because again all those things I just mentioned but depth wise hey it's good to have a guy that has as much experience as he does because a lot of the other guys we're going to talk about they're really young players including Mm -hmm. Jalen Johnson who's just in year two for sure Mason what about you when it comes to Desmond Trufant what does he need to prove to you to his you know coaches his teammates at training camp that hey he can be you know a quality player on this defense for me, it's all about not as much what he can do, but can he fend off Kendall Vildor? You know, like Nick was saying, he has put together a pretty solid preseason so far. And you know, if you actually look at what he's doing, you follow him on Instagram. He's actually a really good follow. Uh, he's putting in a lot of work, and we'll get to him in a second. So Trufant's just basically more or less a placeholder at the age of 31 with the injury history he's had and a slow decline over time in terms of overall production. It's not like, you know, he popped off the page. In addition to that, you may find that the Bears end up going and looking for help elsewhere, whether you talk about a Steve Nelson who's still sitting there uh, from the Steelers, Richard Sherman's technically still out there. You know, that might be someone that they'd be interested in bringing if they really need to solidify that corner position. You know, Keith, uh, Desmond Trufant's not really making a lot of money. If he can't produce high at a high level, he may not be here. Yeah, I think training camp preseason games will be telling on how that all kind of shakes out. And again, if some of the other guys we've already mentioned are making bigger waves, then Trufant may not even make this team when it's all said and done. But that's going to do it here for Tier 1. Before we jump into Tier 2, Nick, I believe we have some shout-outs, or at least a pretty major shout-out that we need to do here this week. Yeah, well, we have one shout-out to give, but this is the shout-out of all shout-outs, really, and it goes to Jaden Mickledowney, who 
and I, it was what maybe a week ago now where I got my phone, got the notification, see that it's from one of our fans and it's from Jaden Mickledowney and the donation was for a thousand dollars. I had to reread that a couple of times <laughs> saying, wait, is that the right number of zeros behind that? I messaged Jaden saying, Hey, this is, this is amazing. We really appreciate it here, but are you sure you put a thousand, like, is that's right. And he's like, yes, I love listening to the podcast. You guys make my day. And really that made all of our days seeing that, one, we have fans like that that are so devoted to this podcast and want to keep listening to us when they're, you know, whether you're just mowing the lawn or whatever it may be. But that was awesome. And Jaden, who who also gave a donation the week prior, too. So, Jaden, you are amazing. And this is your your time to shine here for your shout out, because once you hear this and is he's someone that doesn't listen or doesn't watch on YouTube, just strictly podcast wherever he consumes his, or takes his podcast in. And that's awesome to hear just to see how people are taking all this in. But, Jaden, again, thank you so much. You made Will, Jordan Grimes, our graphic designer, Mason, all of our days. And, look, you see Mason right there. He's got the green screen. That's because of, because of you, Jaden, and your generous donation. So thank you so much. Yeah, even though he's listening, Mason has a green screen. We're all kind of uniform here. And I know, Nick, you've been playing out uh, with some different microphones, too. And you have a new one here this week that we're trying out. So it it gives us the ability to grow our show, continue to improve our product. And I mean, that that one just blew me totally out of the water. It's like a Friday morning, you know, sitting there in the office. And that just was tremendous to see and still kind of in disbelief here even a week out. Absolutely. I think I just got done working out. So I, that's why I thought I was like seeing things too. Right the pre-workout, <laughs> still, still hitting. So like, whoa, no, that's a thousand dollars. But so again, Jaden, thank you so much. But for anybody that does, wants to help contribute to the show, here's how you can make that happen. Either through Venmo or PayPal, you can send us any donation that you feel is right. And on Venmo, the username is the Chicago Audible. Should see my name, Nicholas Moriano, the Chicago Audible logo. So, again, just look up the Chicago Audible. And, again, you can put, provide any donation that you feel is suitable. And then on PayPal, again, you have to do HTTPS colon slash slash www.chicagoaudible.com slash PayPal. I know it's a handful. So, um, yeah, you could do that again. HTTPS colon slash slash www.chicagoaudible.com slash PayPal. I had to make sure I enunciate all of that and get that all on there for PayPal. But Venmo. Just look up the Chicago Audible. So much easier. We'll work on getting some buttons on our website so you don't have to go through all of that, Nick, because uh, that was surely a mouthful. But uh, thanks again uh, for that tremendous donation. That's going a far way already, and I'm excited to see what we can continue to do now with Mason having a green screen. I know we're looking at some different formats of how we want to do our preview shows or postgame shows as we get closer to the year. So I'm excited to kind of take on that project here very soon. But, gentlemen, it's time to get back to business, enter Tier 2, which I'm dubbing Young Guns. And when you look at this next tier of players, you'll notice a ton of youth and potential, which can be anything. It can't be anything other than just purely exciting. And there are two players with pro experience under their belts that Bears fans have been talking a lot about throughout this entire offseason. And that's going to be the third-year pro in Duke Shelley, as well as Kendall Vildor, who is entering his second year in the league. And when you compare both players, they had very similar production last season, similar snap counts after stepping in place of injured starters, each playing in a little over 200 snaps. Each player gave up around 77% completions when targeted. However, both of these young players displayed some promise and potential 
along the way. And I want to begin with Duke Shelley. He's going to be vying for that Bears starting nickel position. So Mason, I'll go to you first. What did Duke Shelley show you last year that gives you some confidence that he can take over this role? And also, what do you want to see him work on? I'm going to take your question and shift it slightly and to say that I just don't think he really showed a lot that would make me very confident in what in being a starting nickel. And like you, it's some of the things you just said. You know, he allowed 80.6% of his targets to completed for 167 yards and one touchdown with not a lot of snaps. That's not a great percentage. It's not a great proportion in that scenario. He's a relatively efficient tackler. He only missed one, but he only had 17 tackles on the whole year. So not exactly had to do, didn't have to do that a ton. And as we know, you know, the, that slot position with Buster screen there, it wasn't exactly, the bar wasn't set super high and he wasn't able to elevate that bar even further with Buster screen being out for, with concussion issues. And, you know, there's always the question of, was it really fully concussion by the end? Or was there some performance like, Hey, Buster, let's just take a little seat here. Uh, so honestly, I don't have a lot of confidence in Duke Shelley. I think uh, another person we're going to talk about later might imbue me with a little more confidence that position, but we'll get to that later. Okay. Yeah. Duke Shelley, he did have slightly better numbers than Buster screen, but it didn't, like you said, Mason, it doesn't really move the navel uh, needle. He has higher snaps per target and a higher snap perception allowed. I think it was, he was having a catch every 10 plays compared to Buster screen six, uh, so that's slight improvement, but still nothing to really write home about. Uh, I have some other gripes. Uh, run support, if you're playing nickel corner in the NFL, you need to be a little bit more aggressive in run support, making plays in that regard. But Nick, I'm curious, are you as, uh, I guess, cautious with Duke Shelley as Mason is? Or what's your tune? And if my memory serves me correctly, you need to speak wisely or choose your words carefully. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Duke Shelley could be listening. But no, I think for me, I still have to, you still have to be cautious. He's a year three player, former six round draft pick. But what I actually saw just kind of going back and seeing him at that nickel spot, because he played both outside corner and the nickel position. And in games, go week 15 against Minnesota where Jalen Johnson's not there. Duke Shelley's a starting outside cornerback until they go into nickel nickel um co- or nickel coverage where then he shifts down as a nickel Kendall Vildor comes onto the field as the outside corner but I liked his ability to get out of his back uh, his back pedal just displayed fluid movement um, especially on horizontal and crossing routes I posted a video earlier today where Dalvin Cook's running a just a route out of the backfield and it's literally Duke Shelley and Dalvin Cook and Duke Shelley is what five foot eight 183 pounds and Dalvin Cook's 5'10", 210 pounds, makes a tackle. The Bears' defense stops Dalvin Cook on third down and on fourth down. They get off the field. But it all is because of Duke Shelley and that that good tackle. And even prior to that, has another good tackle in in the middle of the scrum, basically, where all the linemen are at. Duke Shelley, relentless, comes downfield, makes a good tackle on Dalvin Cook. So I saw some physicality as well from a 5'8", 183-pound corner. The area where he needs to drastically improve, though, if he wants to be the starting nickel corner for the Bears in 2021, is defending vertical routes. We can all go to that Green Bay game where Marquez Valdez-Scantling drops the wide-open touchdown. Duke Shelley just doesn't open up his hips and runs with the guy. It's just, for some reason, he's just slow to do so. There was also another play in that Green Bay game where Devontae Adams is in the slide. Look, Devontae Adams burns usually anybody, especially in a Bears uniform, but... It's just a fade route from that from that slot position, and Shelley 
to make to prevent a touchdown has to hold him and, and there's a pass interference call. So he needs to get better in that regard, defending the vertical routes, but the shiftiness where you want to see that out of a nickel corner, the little feistiness too as well. I saw that in what the, I think I have it up here, the 251 defensive snaps. You saw glimpses of it. And this is a guy that was playing, like I said, outside corner, nickel corner. So there was a lot on his plate, but I think for a former six round draft pick, on a defense that didn't have a good pass rush, he he did all right. And I'm curious to see how he can do now that there's a Thomas Graham Jr. there fighting for the same position. Oh, we'll get to him here in just a few moments. But you mentioned the vertical routes. When I was looking back, I was seeing some issues with those horizontal routes, those shallow crosses, not really communicating and passing those off appropriately in the Bears zone defense. So obviously with more experience going through the program and whatever defense adjustments that they're going to do from a schematic standpoint, I also want to make sure that Duke Shelley does have those vocal qualities where he can communicate during a play and know when to pass players off or when to stay with them. I think that was another issue that we saw last season. And again, playing multiple positions for someone who usually didn't play a lot of defense just yet throughout his career, those things will happen. We saw some good glimpses, as you said, Nick, um, but also as Mason said, there's still some work to be done here. And that's what training camp's all about. And that's why we need to pay attention to Duke Shelley at camp. But let's move over to Kendall Vildor. Here's a player who not only flashed last season, uh, but according to plenty of reports, he's been making some serious buzz throughout the Bears' off-season's workouts. Uh, he had a two-interception day. He's been standing out during red zone drills throughout minicamp. So my two-partner question for you guys on Kendall Vildor. Number one, uh, and Nick, you already kind of spoiled this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you think he has a realistic chance at competing for the starting job opposite Jalen Johnson? And on top of that, I know he pegs as more as an outside guy, but what are your thoughts about him maybe playing nickel? I know when you're looking at Sean Desai just talking about him this summer, uh, he said that Bildor has a chance to compete at, and I quote, various positions. So, Nick, you already kind of tipped your hand a bit, so I'll go to Mason first. What are your thoughts on Kendall Vildor entering camp? I think Kendall Vildor is going to be really interesting. The thing that you have to think about when you're thinking about him is you ha- you can use last year a little bit, but the problem is, I mean, he only played 13% of the defensive snaps. And when he did have to, it was kind of rushed in there at the end when Jalen Johnson got hurt. And as you had just uh, said earlier, right, Duke Shelley was outside and then got moved inside and Builder got put in the, on the outside. It was a weird kind of musical chairs that was going on there. So, yeah, it'd be hard to be comfortable for anybody like that. But he did give up 131.2 passer rating and he did give up two touchdowns on those limited snaps. So there's a lot to work on there. But from all things being heard, I mean, obviously the most optimistic time of any football season is the preseason. So, you know, <laughs> you're never going to come out and straight up say, Kendall Vildor looks terrible. But from what we've seen and some of the highlights and things like that, he is impressing people out there. And so, you know, he's an individual that I think can really heavily compete to be that cornerback too. Yeah, and remember, he got drafted last season. So did Jalen Johnson, but Vildor was more of a mid to late round guy. And he, they didn't have a real off-season program, right, due to COVID. Like, they just came in at camp, and they're doing virtual stuff throughout the summer. So he was already behind the eight ball a little bit, got thrown into the fire late last season. But now this is a year where he gets to be around his teammates, doing more normal things. And I think seeing that progression now, to me, it's it's very exciting uh, to hear as well as to see. Because when Nick and I, if I remember correctly, when we were interviewing people on last year's draft class, 
the guy that we interviewed about Kendall Vildor just gushing uh, about his potential, thought that he was a, he's a big, deep sleeper in this draft and can be a quality starter, starting to hear some things about it. So, Nick, I know you kind of mentioned this. Why do you think Kendall Vildor could end up being a starting outside corner in this defense? The one thing they displayed in his rookie season where I think it usually takes good cornerbacks a little bit longer to develop is that spatial awareness on the field. And yes, you're designated to maybe one side and you're maybe, you know, defending the man that's just in front of you. But there were several times in those 209 total defensive snaps that Builder had where he was able to defend perfectly these two man concepts where you have a guy that is in front of you, but also behind you. So he's low to high uh, read concepts for the quarterback, but Vildor just places himself perfectly in between these guys where you can play them both. I think, Will, you had a, a, a gif for just a video of it in the in the Week 15 game against the Vikings where Justin Jefferson's in the back left corner in the end zone open. Mm. And Vildor has somebody in front of him, but he stops from going to the shallow route and just dives back the other way to, to just dis, disrupt the pass. That nothing happens there. He almost gets an interception on Aaron Rodgers doing the exact same thing in the season finale. So Vildor, who had seen the concept before in Week 15, then applies the same exact mentality in the Week 17 finale against Aaron Rodgers, and all he has to do is complete the play by intercepting the ball. It goes right through his hands, but I think that is so encouraging to see. And opposite of Jalen Johnson, who struggled with maybe securing the tackle and allowing guards after the catch, Vildor only allowed 30 yards after the catch. So he's a guy that was able to secure the tackles. So you have somebody that recognizes route concepts, can make the tackles. Now he just needs to finish in terms of making those interceptions. These All these corners really do because Shelley, uh, Vildor, Johnson, no interceptions last season. But that's why I feel confident in him overtaking and just taking this cornerback two spot and playing opposite of Jalen Johnson. When you look back at Vildor's play last year, Nick, did you see anything different that maybe he does compared to a Kyle Fuller? Does he play a little bit more up against the man? Because that's something that Jalen Johnson does. And if you do have two starting corners with more of that press man mentality compared to Fuller's, you know, sit seven, eight yards back and give him a lot of cushion, that could really give Sean Desai, you know, some different wrinkles that he can add to this defense and kind of adhere to that stronger, aggressive mentality that we've been kind of hearing. Yeah, I think in, what, just over the 200 defensive snaps, you saw him playing a little off, playing a little press. I remember talking to his defensive coordinator at Georgia Southern. They said they never took his press card away from him. So he's someone that's capable of doing that. But I think it's when he did play off of people, sometimes playing those outbreaking routes, he just kind of gave up those those yards. It was five yards, seven yards, just easy completion. So I think for me personally, what I'm looking forward to at training camp and just seeing more out of Vildor is playing a little bit more of that press coverage. See what he can do in that that confined space to disrupt the route, the timing and the route for the wide receivers. But you did see a little bit of both. And even Johnson towards the end of the season, I thought you saw him playing a little bit off, a little further off about the seven yards that you saw Kyle Fuller usually playing at in terms of in the beginning of the season. He was pretty pressed up on guys, but you saw a mixture of both. Okay, let's move on and let's round out this final tier by discussing the rookie cornerback out of Oregon, and that's going to be Thomas Graham Jr. Graham is a cornerback that dropped a bit further down the draft than most people thought. In college, you see tremendous, and I mean tremendous, ball production out of him. He entered his senior season as the FBS active leader in passes defended 40 
and PBUs with 32. Now, Graham did opt out of the season due to COVID, um, but he still finished his college career with an ultra-impressive 183 tackles, eight interceptions, 10.5 tackles for a loss to go along with those passes defensed. Now, Graham, when you look at him, he's not the most athletic. He's not the fastest defensive back. But what he does bring to the table is smarts and a high football IQ to go along with good instincts and some pretty solid technique to hold his own. And fans also love the physical demeanor that Graham plays with. He's always looking to punish. So, Mason, I'll go to you here first. What are some realistic expectations for Graham as a rookie and how much do you expect to see him on the field this year and why? I think realistically you can expect Graham to truly push for that starting nickel position. When you have someone who maybe isn't necessarily the most athletic individual, but has that smarts, you know, previous coaches have described him as smart, mature student of the game, then you can definitely see playing time a lot sooner, right? Because you're not relying on purely on that athleticism and that athleticism can only take you so far when you're going against, you know, these various route concepts that might be a little more complicated and things of that nature. Now, again, he's is still a rookie though. So that is still going to take time. He's going to have to get probably build his way into that position. I wouldn't expect week one for him to lead corners and, you know, nickel position snaps, but the production he had in in college is very exciting. I mean, he played as a true freshman and led that team with three interceptions. You already listed all his, the past breakups he had. It's the, that production, even with that lack of athleticism on a team like Oregon is really exciting. Like it wasn't like he was playing D three football somewhere. So he was going against some high level competition and was able to create that kind of statistical value. Yeah, Nick, how about you? When you're looking at Thomas Graham Jr. getting into training camp, what do you want to see and really what are you expecting out of him this year? You know, I really just want to see what I saw at the Senior Bowl from Thomas Graham Jr. when he was defending some of the top senior wide receivers in the country. Just He looked consistently day in and day out through those practices like the best corner there, just able to mirror routes. And look, anytime you can win those one-on-one routes in the seven-on-seven drills or straight-up one-on-ones as a corner, where those those drills always, always favor the wide receivers, that's how you can make a name for yourself. And that's how I just came, came to like keep watching where number four Thomas Graham Jr. was at. But what I want to see in, in terms of training camp is how, and this goes for Duke Shelley as well at the nickel corner, how those guys do against some of the bigger Biden receivers. Like Allen Robinson will line up in the slot, and that disrupts a lot of things for opposing defenses. How are you going to defend that? As a nickel corner, if you're backing up in the end zone or in the red zone, you're you're already giving up that cushion and then just allowing one of those guys to turn around, catch easy completion. So I want to see how they defend those kind of those route concepts in the red zone, but also I want to see exactly how he's doing in those seven on seven drills because he did such a good job against some of the senior wide receivers at the senior bowl now taking a step up against some of the bears wide receivers but this is a guy that's feisty also a six round draft pick just like duke shelley is and that's why the competition is going to be so good against these two and just one last quote from again adam johns of the athletic he said the favorite everybody is duke shelley the six round pick from a couple years ago he was out there working with the starters during rookie minicamp i know thomas graham the rookie this year is expected to push him but during veteran minicamp, Duke Shelley was your leader. So he has it for now. We'll see what happens come training camp, though. And for me, the fact that he came to the Senior Bowl and showed out like he did after taking Geary off, 
it's just a testament of what kind of player and how serious he still takes the game. Obviously, he was still engaged mentally uh, and physically still in shape, and he knew that taking a year off, like, hey, I'm going to the Senior Bowl. I have a chance to prove, like, I haven't lost a step. And be able to just jump in kind of cold like that and play like he did, again, I think it's a huge testament to the type of player that the Bears are getting there in Thomas Graham Jr. I'm excited to see him push for this position. Uh, the more competition you can find, the better. And guys, we're not done. Even though we're entering Tier 3, I'm going to call this third tier loaded. And I know it's maybe a big term, but usually when we get to Tier 3, we ramble on with a few guys, don't know anything about them, give a couple of the factoids here and there. But this tier is a little bit different. So Tier 3, we have... Tease Tabor, a former second-round pick out of Florida. He appeared in 22 games for Detroit before spending an entire year on the 49ers practice squad. Didn't have a team last year until the Bears snagged him up in December. We have Artie Burns, a first-round pick of the Steelers, who balled out during his rookie year, three interceptions, 13 PBUs, uh, ended up regressing a little bit and losing that starting role. I know when you look at him a little bit deeper, you find out he had a lot of family things going on throughout his time in Pittsburgh, having to take in his younger brother, some issues with the parents. I think he lost one as well. Uh, so there's a lot going on there. Came to Chicago for a fresh start, looking to revitalize his career last offseason. He was talked to battle with Jalen Johnson for that CB2 spot and ended up tearing his ACL in camp. But he's back here in Chicago for another try. And then we also have Trey Robertson, former CFL star with the Bears signed to the largest contract to a CFL player since Cameron Wake when he signed with the Bears last year. Robertson was coming off a seven-interception season, uh, ended up breaking his foot last July in workout, so he didn't even get his chance to start like we all thought. So like I said, we have some other players here in this tier, but I just kind of want to pause here as we'll get to the rest of the players in a moment because this trio is where the conversation really needs to land we have three corners that at one point all showed real promise tease Tabor was a highly touted cornerback in the 2017 class drawing comparisons to Akib Talib just due to his aggressive nature uh, PFF stress profile said there's no reason Tabor can't be one of the best DBs in the entire NFL and Artie Burns, again, first-round pick who played at a high level as a rookie. And Roberson dominated in another professional league. And the Bears, obviously, they thought highly of him to give him that rare deal coming out of the CFL. So, Nick, I'll go to you first. Out of the three, who do you like? Who are you watching? And what are you looking for? I, I like Artie Burns. I think this is also a guy, before he got injured towards ACL, I, I want to say he was getting those first-team reps. I know... It's training camp, it's August, it's maybe a little overblown, but he was still there in the mix. And then the ACL, he tears on August 18th, and that's the last year of Artie Burns, unfortunately. So that's a guy who also has continuity a little bit, going back to his college days with Deion Bush, who we'll talk about eventually in another Countdown to Camp episode, but a former first-round pick who's looking to revitalize his career and was looking like he was in position to do so until an injury happens. So that's intriguing. And like you said, this this uh, tier three is not just a bunch of nobodies. These are these are names that people like I know that guy. I've heard it before. So we can actually provide some some analysis because they can maybe be depth at least uh, on this this Bears cornerback room. So Artie Burns is a guy that I'm really interested in seeing where he's even at when they start training camp and is he lining up just with twos? Does he get even some reps? maybe at the ones with Vildor and Trufant. 
We'll have to wait and see, but that's a guy I'm interested in. With Vildor and Trufant, what's going on with Jalen Johnson? Oh no, he's got his own. He's he's over okay. there. No one's taking his reps. I, I got I now I actually understand exactly what you meant. Sorry, I, I misunderstood. I thought it was gonna have Vildor, Trufant, and then you have, you know, Burns out there. What a trio. Uh, that's not the trio that I would expect come week one. I would hope that's not the trio come <laughs> week one. Mason, how ready should Burns be with that ACL? I know it's been about a year now. So, you know, without knowing exactly his rehab process and everything like that, at least looking generally at the timeline, the timeline fits. Uh, you really want at least one year before you're trying to push. You could be someone who's an athletic, physical freak like uh, Adrian Peterson, come back sooner. Darren Sproles was back six months later. Uh, Saquon's already posting videos of him, you know, quadding out like crazy as he normally does. But for even the highest of athletes, really a year is the way you want to look at it. So, He'll, he'll be ready for training camp, right? The question is, is he going to be at 100% uh, of what he was before? And that's the thing that really stinks when it comes to the ACL is a lot of people end up coming back and you look at, you know, that quad activation. And when you retest it, it's only usually about 70% even at a year out. So with a number like that, you know, that's still going to have decreased productivity in terms of his explosiveness, his stability, things of that nature. So he's going to be a little slower even in August than he probably would like and what we would like. Yeah, that's not going to help his chances to push really for a roster spot, uh, a starting job. Uh, if he is at, you know, 70%, I know that's just a, you know, a number you're pulling out there for that general year mark. We don't know his exact situation with how tight knit things have been around him. Um, but on top of that, Mason, when you just look at this trio, who do you like out of it? I'm glad Nick went with Artie. I'm hoping you go with T's Tabor because I don't really care about him, to be quite honest. Like <laughs> the fact that he was highly touted and going in before the combine and then he didn't run well at the combine and then he had a pro day that he ran worse at. That's just that's still that's silly to me. You have you know you have a test coming up. Study better for your tests, good sir. Um, because <laughs> I am high on Trey Roberson. I like Artie Burns, I love Trey Roberson. <laughs> and it really stinks that he had the injury he did, that broken foot when he was working out. Bears were lucky, you know, they waived him with an injury designation. He wasn't claimed, so they were able to revert him to that non-football injury uh, list. Bears general manager Ryan Pace said of him with very little prompting, that was disappointing regarding the injury. He's disappointed. We're going to work with through the injury with him. He's a good player, someone we scouted heavily in the CFL. It's just an unfortunate injury, but something he can recover from, and we're going to work with him in that process. And he's such an interesting player. If you look at his, you know, numbers he had, you know, in the Grey Cup championship, he had 54 tackles total, three interceptions, two forced fumbles. In 2019, he had 41 tackles total with seven interceptions, two return for touchdowns. Previously at Indiana University, he was a, the first freshman to start at quarterback. You know, there you go, go Will. And then he spent three years with the Hoosiers, including a medical redshirt year after he broke his leg early in the season. Transferred to Illinois State for his final two years, where he was, again, quarterback, brought them to the FCS championship game where they ended up losing to North Dakota State, you know, boo, um, and then switched to cornerback and ended up on the Vikings for a bit in 2016. So he That combination, having the knowledge of a quarterback, but being on the defensive side is something that's really interesting. Being able to be productive in the CFL is, is good, right? You always want that if you don't know, beat the competition and be better than the competition that you should be better than. And I think he's someone that's just going to be really interesting to watch and potentially push for that third defensive back position, someone who might be able to step in, unless, and maybe even something crazy happens and he can push even further than that. That's kind of where I'm at, too, uh, when it comes to obviously having anyone that played at IU again 
on this on this team would be awesome for me. I'm tired of Nick having a monopoly with James Daniels in Iowa. Uh, I used to have Jordan Howard. Obviously, things have changed here over the last few years for us. So that's a big one. But Mason, I think you hit the one that I put in my notes. It's just that being able to see an offense in front of him through an eyes of a quarterback just puts him in an advantageous position. If he can read a quarterback or just kind of pick up on some tendencies from just knowing that position as intimately as he does, to me, I think that's something that Nick and I hit on pretty hard last year when we were getting excited looking at the corners for countdown to camp, and it's still something that really resonates with me a year later. So I like Trey. Nick, when you look at Trey, do you think he has the versatility to push for an you know, outside and an inside kind of backup role? Because I, I think I do. Yeah, and I actually talked, I forgot, I talked to his former defensive back coach with the Calgary Stampeders, and he, he said that exactly, Will, that he was so versatile in their defense that they just lined him up anywhere. Um, I asked him, what what is Trey Roberson like on the football field? And his answer, uh, Joshua Bell's defensive backs coach, is he's a dangerous player. When he's on the football field, he has that Charles Woodson, that Chris Harris Jr. in him. He just picked up on tendencies from receivers and made a lot of plays, and you know, I asked him about his quarterback background, how that helps him with things. And he just was watching, constantly watching film. But he's a guy that's versatile, was highly touted in the CFL, has, like we said, that quarterback background and transition now as a corner. It's a guy that, you know, this is who you really want to see what he can do in a training camp, especially when that depth position is wide open. Like Artie Burns obviously has the recognition of being a former first-round pick and having some NFL experience, but this is a guy, when healthy, you want to see what he's doing in those reps and seeing how he's pushing, you know, guys that are on the back end trying to make this roster. I think it's different. What was the last guy that the Bears had years ago at the CFL? Jonathan Mincy? Was that him? I think that sounds right, yeah. He's different. See, we don't even we can't even pull up the name that quickly. <laughs> things I think things are a little different. And again, they signed him to a pretty hefty contract for someone coming from the CFL that you don't normally see. And Mason, you threw out the factoids of Ryan Pace in his quotes. I feel like the Bears are high on him and coming in here healthy. I know there's a lot of focus on the young guys of Shelley and Vildor and Graham. I think a lot of people are sleeping on Robertson. And I know if I'm lucky to be one of the fans to get to go to training camp this year, I think I'll be paying a little extra attention to, to Robertson to see what he kind of has uh, and what he's bringing uh, to the table. Um, but let's go ahead and get through the rest of Tier 3 real quick. We have Michael Joseph. Uh, I think most people know local kid played at Dubuque. He's entering his fourth training camp with the Bears already, which, wow, time just goes by really, really quickly. We have Xavier Crawford, former Texan six-round pick two years ago. Uh, he was on our practice squad last season, earning that position in last year's training camp. And then we have two undrafted free agents. We have Rajesterman Ferris, uh, UDFA out of Hawaii, and then Deontay Ruffin uh, out of Western Kentucky. So, guys, I don't have really much on these three other than the fact that uh, Ferris was the team's defensive MVP uh, over there out of Hawaii. And Ruffin, he's a speedy corner who broke Zach Wilson's interceptionless passing streak. Outside of that, I don't got much. How about you, Nick? Anything else you want to add? Not really, Will. I think, you know, we have our loaded Tier 3 for a reason with the three guys we mentioned. <laughs> the other guys are really on the outside, outside looking in because uh, those guys that we mentioned have a legitimate shot, unlike, you know, some the last you know last couple guys you just, just talked about. You couldn't even remember one name besides Michael Joseph, I bet. I heard Hawaii, though. Probably should stay there, just, just you know, in terms of weather. 
<laughs> Smart. What about you, Mason? Anything else on these guys? No, like Nick was saying, I mean, this is just training camp bodies for the most part, unfortunately. The one of them that if I had to kind of pick and and be interested in would be Registerman to see if he's a rosterman or not, but I highly doubt it. Um, you hear some of the coaches talk about him. He's got the mentality probably that would be really good for a special teams player. Just, you know, hard nose, not afraid to make the tackles you need to. So if you were looking for someone like that for kick coverage, you know, that, that would be probably where I go. But other than that, nothing super exciting. All right. So, guys, we've talked about how wide open this entire position is outside of Jalen Johnson. There are so many unknowns and so much potential, yet nothing really solidified. And training camp, this is the one position that it gets tough to make the uh, assessment and you know the speculation and projection of who's actually going to make this team at the position. I think out of every position we've done so far, this one is the toughest, and honestly, it may have been one of the toughest positions in the last couple of years that I've had to kind of sit back and project out. So let's we'll start with numbers. Uh, I have six corners making the team. Nick? I have six as well. Mason? Six. So <laughs> this gets real interesting. Uh, I got Jalen Johnson making the team. Uh, you guys are both in agreement there, I'm assuming. Yeah. Who's Jalen Johnson? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Ooh, that guy? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. All right, so we all have Johnson making the team. Does anyone have Desmond Trufant making the team? No. Got it right here. Okay. So I, I have, have Trufant. Nick, you have Trufant. He cut. Mason he cut. cut. <laughs> all right. I can see that being a real possibility, honestly. Uh, we talked about that earlier. So we have Vildor and Shelly, right? All of us have Vildor and Shelly. I can see mm-hmm. that yep. one without a doubt. Thomas Graham, he's here. He's making the team. So that one's not surprising. Nick, who's your sixth? I have Artie Burns as my sixth guy. What about you? I got Trey Roberson uh, as my number six, which means Mason has both of them, and that's how he makes his six, right? 100%. Yeah, figured it out. So we got, uh, I'll say mine. So I'm sure that was like a weird, winded way to kind of get all of our names out. Uh, So I got Johnson, Trafant, Vildor, Shelley, Graham, Roberson. Nick? I have Johnson, Vildor, Trufant, Shelley, Graham, Burns. Mason. And Johnson, Vildor, Roberson, Burns, Shelley, Graham. Awesome. See, that's really cool uh, that we all went in different ways. And honestly, they're all unique and they're all viable. Uh, I can see Trufant not making this team. And if that's the case, Mason, if the Bears go with six, I think you're definitely a front runner there. And I like how Nick and I went different with our number six with Roberson and Burns and both those guys. A lot to prove. Uh, so I'm excited to see how this all shakes out. Uh, real quickly, I see Chase Furries in the chat, our jersey giveaway winner. So I just want to say, Chase, uh, I see you. Uh, I talked about you on the top of the episode a little bit uh, with your David Montgomery jersey coming your way. Um, but just want to thank you again for your review and uh, congratulations on winning. But gentlemen, it's time to play a little bit of my favorite game, and that's going to be some over-under. So over-under, three interceptions for Jalen Johnson. Remember, he had the goose egg uh, during his rookie year. Mason, are you going to take the over or the under? I'm going to take the under. Uh, ultimately, if you look at last year's interceptions, the leader was Roquan Smith and Deshaun Gibson with two each. Uh, Kyle Fuller had one. Khalil Mack had one. Lil Nichols had one. The list goes on that way. 
yes, I do think the defense will be improved. I think the pass rush will be improved. But to go from zero to a jump over three seems a bit high for me. Okay, how about you, Nick? I have four, and you know, I think that it's it's tough for these these second round draft picks to get those high number of interceptions. I'll give you a couple of names: Xavier Howard, who's probably regarded as one of the best corners in the league right now, in his second year. He played all 16 games, had four interceptions. A guy that we're all very familiar with, Darius Slay, also a second-round draft pick in 2013. His second year, he had two interceptions, but played all 16 games. I think it's all going to determine if Johnson can now hit that 17-game mark where he can end up. But I I see him ending with the season with four interceptions. I I like the optimism. I'm going to take the over as well. My number was four. I wasn't going to go crazy with anything like five-plus. I think he's going to get, obviously – a little bit more bulk of the targets. Uh, he was already targeted like 72 times last year. Fuller was like 75. Uh, with that extra game, I'm looking at maybe like 80 or so opportunities for him. Uh, and again, he had a lot of hands on the ball. He just wasn't in a proper position to actually come away with the takeaways. So he's there, and I think he can make the jump from PBU to interception. So I'm going to take the over as well, uh, which leads to the next one. Over under five interceptions for all Bears corners. Only one last year, fellas, which... Obviously, that's a number if we want this season to be something worth remembering that needs to change. Five on a normal year feels like a very low bar, uh, but considering the one last year, that's where I felt like putting it. So, Nick, are you going to take the over or under? And obviously, you just need a couple more interceptions if Johnson's going to get four for you. Yeah, if he gets four, then I'll go the over. I'm, I'm optimistic about what Vildor, Johnson, and Shelley could potentially do as those starting corners there. All right, Mason? I'm going to say over as well. I'm going to get hated on in the, by the chat and whoever listens to this, but uh, Kyle Fuller, I loved him to death, but the way he played, I couldn't deal with it. Just how far he played off. He was a great hitter, all those things, but it's hard to get interceptions, hence the one he had last year uh, when you play that way. And so I think when you have Jalen Johnson being the cornerback one, no, I don't think he's going to get over the three, but I think he's going to get more than one. And then having opposite side of him, uh, I don't have true font. I mean, maybe you guys do, but the other cornerback where that might be the slot, I think they're going to be able to chip in enough to get to that over five number. All right. I'm going to take the over as well. Pass rush too. Uh, as you said earlier in the show, Mason, secondary's best friend. Uh, so that's really going to help out here in this regard. All right. Over under an 85 pass rating allowed for Jalen Johnson. I don't know. I just thought this one was a fun one to try. He had 106 last year bumping it down to 85 i don't think you guys want to try to figure out what kind of season that is Uh, so i'm just gonna say trust your gut uh mason over under i'm gonna say over uh he's gonna probably continue some of the issues that have led to that like in terms of the yardage he gave up i think that's gonna be probably with the shoulder a lot of the tackling issues are gonna continue to present themselves sure nick I'm going to go over as well. I think, again, now he is cornerback one. He's going to see just more targets, more opportunities to make plays, but also give them up. So I think it will be over that mark, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad season by any means. Just look at it. Just, he's giving up some completion. It's going to happen every corner. Sure, it is. Uh, and I'll take the under. I think it's going to be like an 80. If he's getting some more interceptions, that's going to dip that number down. Again, none last year kind of gets heavily skewed in the quarterback's favor. One more for Jalen. Over under 16 PBUs for Jalen Johnson. He had 13 last year, 
And for uh, a comparison purpose, 16 would have led the entire league in terms of cornerbacks and PBU's last season. You can take the over or under, and we'll go to Nick. I'll go over. There's an additional game, and he was, went out in Week 14 against the Houston Texans, so maybe realistically could have gotten that number last season had he been healthy. So I'll go over, and we'll say he gets we'll get 18 PBUs for Jalen Chats. Ooh, I like it. Mason, how about you, man? Also the over. Like Nick just said, I mean, that's four more games than last year he would play. He's going to get more targets, like you guys said, just being core of CB1. I th- really feel that Desai is going to have him float around to the best receiver. I, I just will find it hard to believe that that the doc is going to just be like, hey, chill on one side and whoever you cover is who you cover. Okay, I'm taking the over as well. Nick, you on 18. I'm going to give him a solid 20 uh, and just go with the even number and set those expectations totally sky high. Uh, speaking of PBUs, let's do another over-under. 30 PBUs for the entire cornerback position. Uh, when you add up everyone last season for the Bears, that came out to 22. Mason, how about you? Uh, considering I'm right there with you, I had 20 as well for uh, for Jalen Johnson. Between the rest of the cornerbacks, throw, throwing in an extra 10 should be doable. It should be. <laughs> you would hope. <laughs> Nick, you're going to take the over-under on that. I'll go over as well. It, it's all really, it's all going to depend who's actually out there starting, which... We'll have to wait and see in training camp, but I think whoever it is is going to be capable of, you know, just providing those PBUs throughout the group, and it all goes to pass rush. If they that the quarterback's speeding up that clock, that ball might not be as accurate, might be behind a guy, and even if they're not in perfect position, still get a hand on the ball and get that PBU. All right, and one more I'm going to make up on the spot just based off of how this conversation went today. Over, under, nine starts for Duke Shelley this season. Nick? I'll go over. Um, I think I'm a little bit more optimistic about Duke Shelley and what he can do. And just seeing Thomas Graham, I think, has all the potential, but it's still his rookie season. So I'll go over the nine games for Duke Shelley. All right. How about you, Mason? I'm real curious to your answer based off of your assessment of Shelley earlier and also the grouping of the corners that you brought to the table. I feel like there's a little bit more competition for him. Yeah, I'm going to go under for sure. I think there's too much competition there uh, to warrant that that many starts for him. And, you know, considering it's how many years he's been here now and the lack of progress we've really seen. I mean, he hasn't had a ton of opportunities, but he also hasn't necessarily been jumping off the page or jumping out of the field uh, when he was given those opportunities. So I think uh, I think that that some of these other guys are going to step up. All right, let's move into some true or false questions for you all. And Mason, I'll go to you first. One of the young players in Tier 2 that we mentioned, that's Vildor, Shelley, or Graham, will prove to be an answer this year alongside Jalen. True. Sorry, I was trying to figure out your definition of answer because that has a variety of definitions to it. Will they be able to play and be a functional corner that you don't need to replace this year? Then yes, true. All right. Hey, the interpretation is up to you, the receiver. So you did it well. How about you, Nick? I'll say true as well. Um, It's still a very unproven group, but I think they can do the job. Again, given Sean Desai's defense, I'll go true with that trio there. Wow. It's like you're peeking at my notes uh, with the word unproven because my next true or false, Nick, I'll go to you first. Even though this position is relatively unproven, you would classify it as deep. 
Ooh, right? True. True. It's it's true. But and again, we got to see how these guys have developed and are going to develop. And that's like I think I'm seeing in the chat too. Like, is cornerback our weakest position because there's not not many years of you know proven NFL experience? And maybe that's a, a good question to debate as well. But I'll, I'll say true to to your question there. All right, Mason. How about you? I'm gonna go false. I feel like to have the definition of deep. You need to have a degree of confidence versus just a bunch of question marks. 30 question marks does not make for a deep class. It makes for an interesting class, right? But it makes for a fun podcast. It just may not mean (laughs) it's a deep position. And that's what I was thinking about. Like, we'll get to our confidence meters. But as I was kind of outlining this show and, wow, there's a lot of players here who could end up being, you know, starting caliber. But the key word was could. So that's why I wanted to kind of pose that question here. Uh, so my next year and fall, a little bit more positive. Jalen Johnson ends the year in the top five of PBUs again, as well as the top five of interceptions for the cornerback position. Mason, I'm going to go to you because based off of your one answer earlier, I think I know how you're going to answer this one. Yeah, I'm going to say false. I think that we're going to have a different leader in the interceptions. All right, Nick. I'll go false. So be up there with the PBUs in, in terms of the best corners in the league, but the interceptions, I don't know if you can just quite make that jump there and be in the top five. All right. True or false, the Bears will have one cornerback make the Pro Bowl. I feel like I ask this about every position, and the number one just always kind of sticks out. How about you, Nick? Do we have a Pro Bowl corner? We do not, unfortunately, so false. And that could be due to popularity contest. Maybe Jalen Johnson can be regarded as one of the better corners, but we've seen Bears players snubbed from the Pro Bowl because of, you know, they're the Bears, and they're not doing very well in that that point of the season. So I'll go false. All right. And Mason, how about you? Yeah, false for the same reasons I said for some of the other positions we've talked about, like I said, popularity contest. Uh, For whatever reason, the Bears are – not very popular but in the general media and by the national media um, as well as from other you know fans and, and things of that nature no idea why that necessarily is but always just kind of seems like they fall to the wayside when it comes to this kind of stuff and at the end of the day that's just what it is popularity contest all right i have two fill in the blanks i'm going to split them up between both of you so the first one's for mason come week one the starting nickelback will be blank and come week 18 it will be blank Come week one, the starting nickelback will be Duke Shelley. And come week, final week of the season, it's going to be Thomas Graham. All right. And then Nick, the cornerback that's going to make you want to pull your hair the most this year is going to be? Oh, man. Good one. Uh, we'll say Desmond Trufant if he ends up starting. And it won't be very – so if he's if I'm pulling my hair, he won't be starting very long. But that will definitely be the guy that does it. And, and with your hair, Nick, we can't allow that to happen. Uh, we have to keep that pristine. Uh, it's a staple here on the show, especially as we kind of enhance our live streams of it. Uh, so it leads us into our bold prediction segment here. So what's going to be your 2021 bold predictions uh, for the Chicago Bears corners? And let's go to Nick first. Yeah, so I was just trying to think of something that hasn't happened. It doesn't ever happen. And I had to go to the Green Bay Packers. So after the two games against the Packers, which happened in week six at Chicago and week 14, the corners for the Bears, a starting trio, if you will, Jalen Johnson, Kendall Vildor, and Duke Shelley will each have one interception from those two games. 
So three total interceptions, one for each guy. And just to give you perspective, in the 25 regular season games that Aaron Rodgers has played against the Bears, he has 55 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. So you don't ever see the Bears intercept Rodgers. And in this bold prediction, they do it three times in those two games. Yeah, that's severely bold, and I love it. I keep that same energy next week, Nick. Mason, I'm going to go over to you. What's going to be your bold prediction for the CBs? That Trey Roberson will end the season with two interceptions. I think that he's going to sneak onto the field, whether it's due to injury, whether it's due to some poor performance. Uh, we Nick had talked about how he has that flexibility to go between slot and outside. That He just seems to have a nose for the ball. And how high that, you know, Ryan Pace and some of the teammates and everything like that were on him last year, I think is going to pay off this year. Very nice. My bold prediction, severely bold, because I don't even have this guy making my final roster, Artie Burns ends up as the CB2 at some point this season. I I think there's a chance there, uh, depending on how that ACL kind of heals up as to what Nikki alluded to about where the buzz was around Burns this time uh, a year ago. So for me, that's going to be my bold prediction. And again, bold for me because he didn't even make my six. (laughs) All right. So bold predictions are out of the way, which means it's time to hand out our confidence meter. Uh, Again, talked about a lot of players with a lot of potential, but really how confident are we in this position heading into training camp? And let's go to Mason first. What is, or I guess I should say, where is your confidence meter? I'm going to disappoint some people. It's going to be pretty low. I'm at like a 3.6 right now. Uh, I really like Jalen Johnson as the, the CB2. I thought that was the perfect setup for him to be the the second person in line, right, and everything like that. But the, the thing that bugs me so much were just the little things, the lack of the tackle, missed tackles on his part, the giving up of extra yards that didn't need to be given up. Uh, it, it wasn't even like he was pressing and he was right there. It was, it was that he was a little, you know, there's an instance we talked about, I talked about that earlier in that Panthers game. He was off. He gave up a slant and then where were you? And then after that, CB2 is just so in the air. You know, I, I cut one of the guys that a lot of people are expecting to be the starter. And then, you know, two of the people that could step in there, whether you're talking about Artie Burns or you're talking about Trey Roberson are coming off injuries. Kendall Vildor didn't flash super heavily. You know, we're going off of training uh, minicamp accounts at this point. Uh, There's just so much questionable stuff going on there. And then I'm probably also burned a little bit and having flashbacks to the buster screen experiment that went so poorly so as of right now i just have no confidence in that slot position i just see tight ends running all over the field and i see Devonte adams doing the the smallest route that should be tackled for maybe a three-yard gain and he's scoring a touchdown it's it's awful so yes i am pretty low <laughs> on the cornerbacks speaking of the slot corner position just looking at you know all the event stats and where people were ending up it it really just hurt my heart to see Bryce Callahan still at the top of the list over there in Denver. Uh, as much as we loved hearing him here on the show, and uh, you know he went over to you know Denver with Vic, and man, you really appreciate Bryce Callahan even more after the fact, after he's been gone now for just a little bit of time. But Mason was pretty low. Nick, did you get over five? I was exactly at five, and I thought I was pretty low heading into this. I think with whoever you look at, there's just so much that needs to be proven. That's for Jalen Johnson. That's for Kendall Vildor. That's for Duke Shelley. And there's not a lot of NFL experience. If those are three guys, Duke Shelley has the most experience out of all of them. That's that's crazy to even think about. That's three years 
of NFL experience. And you have guys that you're going to go up against. Devontae Adams just in the NFC North, Adam Thielen, and then Galladay. I mean, there are guys that just in the NFC North alone you have to face twice a year. And that's that's the group of guys that you're going with. And maybe they can pan out and be what you hopefully are starters in this league. But that's a lot of projection and a lot of hope that you're putting into a very young core. And look, if it turns out like you're getting these guys on rookie contracts and they're playing well, perfect. But if not, you're going to rely on two six-round draft picks as maybe one is your outside, one is your nickel, and then a second-round draft pick that has some shoulder injuries, some shoulder issues. So a lot of hope riding in this position, a lot of young guys. So I'm at a five, and we're, we're going to see real quick in you know week one Los Angeles Rams and Matthew Stafford. We'll, we'll test that that bear secondary for sure. Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, I'm on the other side of that five threshold. I'm sitting there at about a 4.5 because even if I was 100% confident in Jalen Johnson, there's still two other starting spots. So that's one third. That's a 3.3 if you want to kind of look at this thing as a whole. And you guys hit on all the question marks. You know, who the heck's going to even line up at CB2? Who's going to line up at nickel? What's the depth going to play out like? Is Jalen Johnson, is that shoulder going to hold up well enough? It's going to be a big issue this year. And if so, how does that change the entire dynamic of, you know, the players that are here and how they can even pan out? Do you start moving guys from inside out all over again? And really the inexperience is, again, I was mentioning earlier how exciting it is. It's also a little worrisome because even though they may have the potential, I feel like that inexperience can be exploited easily by opposing offenses and if that does end up happening, if we get the pass rush back, but people are just getting, you know, a billion yards after the catch, then then we have some other serious problems for this team. So for me, until I know who's playing where, seeing them in camp, seeing them in preseason and come week one, this is probably the position out of every single one in this team that I'm the most concerned about. And again, it's concerned yet optimistic. So it's a really weird blend here. But I think a lot of fans understand kind of where I'm coming from. Guys, any final thoughts here before we wrap up the show? Mason? Really, it, like you said, it's one of those things where, you know, none of us want to come into this and be negative, of course. You know, we always want to put that out there. There's just a lot of un, a lot of unknown. We might be looking back at this at week seven, week eight, and be like, you know, all that worry was for nothing. You know, yeah. Kendall Vildor stepped up and he did amazing. Thomas Graham all of a sudden has three interceptions midway through the season. That was one of the best signings ever. But as of right now, how it sits with the lack of information that we have and the, the crazy ex- lack of experience, like Nick said, with Duke Shelley having the most experience, like that should make everyone's head explode. There just isn't a lot to latch onto right now. So we, it's a wait and see. Sure is. How about you, Nick? Any words of wisdom that you want to bestow upon us and our listeners before we sign off? <laughs> nope just wait and see what we see if you get an opportunity to go to train camp see what these receivers are doing to each one of these cornerbacks because that could be a, a you know a it could be a little bit of foreshadowing what may come in the regular season with all this inexperience at the cornerback position nick are you there's a lot of things that i'm excited about come training camp but we talked about the wide receivers not that long ago and how you know big that unit is and how many receivers are here and who's going to make the team between the receivers and the DBs in the corners, we should have some serious, you know, battles on our hand and seeing because everyone there, they're pushing for some limited spots and there's a lot of bodies. And I think we're going to get some 
I don't know, we're going to have a lot of fun watching these units kind of go at one another, trying to kind of get the upper hand to really put their best case forward to make this team. Yeah, and I think, too, the Bears wide receivers will test these Bears cornerbacks because there's a lot of versatility that you see from the Bears receivers. Allen Robinson's not the burner, but you have several other guys that are. So Kendall Vildor, Duke Shelley, like I was saying earlier, needs to be better at defending those vertical routes. Well, there's going to be a Marquise Goodwin, Demir Bird. There's got, obviously, Darnell Moody that had that speed. So we're going to see it at training camp. And you have guys that I think can hit the deep ball in Justin Fields and Annie Dalton. So we're going to see it tested out there. It's going to be a fun time if we get to go to training camp. Is this the one position that the Bears offense is the one testing the defense? Like when you look at the offensive line versus the Bears front seven, obviously the offensive line is going to learn a lot by going up against that Bears defense. I feel like this is the one though. Like, and it's been a long time since we can say that the Bears offense has an upper hand in terms of like a position versus a position battle. I think that's, you could definitely say that Um, you have, you have playmakers on that side of the ball, but you just don't have very much on the other end. And that's usually, it's always been the opposite for the Bears. Yeah, usually. Uh, So yeah, that's something to pay attention to at camp as well. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks for everyone for tuning in. Yes, even you, Don Burr. Love seeing the live interaction here during the stream. And of course, thanks to everyone who's listening to the podcast all around the world. If you haven't yet, one more reminder to review our show over on Apple Podcasts to get in on our next Jersey giveaway that we'll do once we hit 700 reviews over there. And as you know, we're always down to give back to our audience as we appreciate the time that you share with us. It really does mean a ton. We'll be back next week as we transition back to the Bears offense and into the Bears backfield with a preview on the Bears running backs. Can David Montgomery have a breakout year with better blocking? How does Damian Williams change the entire dynamic of the position? What will Tariq Cohen's role look like or what should it look like? And how can the rookie Khalil Herbert get into the mix? We'll discuss those questions in detail and a whole lot more next time. But until then, bear down Chicago. Bear down.